Hello, and welcome to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Maxine McFarlane. I'm very excited about today's episode because it provides a wonderful opportunity for us to learn and to be supportive of a community that I previously knew very little about. I'm joined today by two guests who are connected with the deaf and hard of hearing community in different capacities. It is my pleasure to welcome my colleague, Jamie Smith, who is a media specialist, and Cameron Hogan, a college student and ASL signer, and also an avid supporter of the community. Ladies, welcome. Let's begin by finding out more about each of you and how you are connected to the deaf and hard of hearing community. Cameron, I will begin with you. Um, hey, so thank you for having us. Um, so I've been signing for a really long time. I started signing pretty young and I don't really know exactly what age, um, but I took formal ASL classes in high school. And now as a college student, it's actually one of my minors um, at App State University, woo, or Appalachian State University. Um, but yeah, so my field kind of goes into that as well with what I'm studying. I'm an audiology major with a minor in ASL, so yeah. Okay, but I'm kind of curious now, Cami. I didn't think of this before. Um, what caused you to start signing at such a young age? Was it somebody in your family or something? Yeah, so um, I have some family history of uh, hearing loss and there are people in my family, not direct family, but just some people in my family that do have some hearing loss. And so a lot of my family does know sign language and I just thought it was really cool as a kid. So I just picked it up. Okay. Yeah. All right, Ms. Smith, tell us about you. Thank you for having us. Um, I um, am a big member of the deaf community. I was diagnosed when I was two years old. with some degree, degree of hearing loss. And um, I've been told that my mother was speaking to me as I was watching TV and I didn't hear her, but I could hear my father. So they noticed right away, they, they, they noticed then that I had some hearing loss. So I have been wearing hearing aids ever since I was two years old. And initially, I went to a deaf school, but um, because the, the deaf school was too far away from home, they moved me back home to start at a school that is mainstream. So I would be going went to a school with um, hearing students. So, and um, during school in a mainstream school, I grew up with an auditorial trainer. Um, I was embarrassed to wear it because it's a big, bunky. Uh, device on my chest, and I had to, but everyone could see that I have this trainer, and um, the auditorial trainer connect to the teacher's microphone, and um, so that's my biggest memory of that. And um, further along, uh, my first librarian job was at Gallaudet University, and Gallaudet University is um, a school for the deaf and hard of hearing. And that's where I became more involved in the deaf community. Where's the school, Miss Smith? Yeah, the school is in Washington, D.C. Okay, all right. So we have two people in involved in the deaf community in different capacities. 
uh, one with firsthand experience and one who just has a strong um, interest in that work. So the main purpose of this podcast episode is to heighten awareness of the general public, especially during this time when we're not functioning in the way we would normally do in society. As someone who is not directly involved in the community, like Ms. Smith and Kami are, there are several misconceptions that I am becoming aware of, as well as things that I have not personally um, previously considered. For example, in a recent conversation with Ms. Smith, I realized how challenging things have become as a result of wearing masks due to COVID-19 pandemic. So let's talk about the distinctions within the community so that the listeners can be more aware of how people have varying needs. I'm gonna ask you to talk about that, Ms. Smith. Yes, so communication had gotten more difficult for me as a result of wearing masks due to the pandemic. And I'm a lip reader. Um, a lip reader visually interprets the movements of lips to understand speech. So without, without that visual presentation, it had been very difficult to communicate with others and without using ASL, American Sign Language. So for example, I went shopping at a grocery store a couple of days ago. I went to check out to purchase my groceries and I knew the cashier had spoken to me but it was difficult to understand her because she had on a mask. And so she pointed to the bag, and then I knew right away what she was saying. So I answered back, I preferred paper bag for my groceries. And thankfully, most people are friendly and understanding. And this is just one example. I do have some degree of hearing. However, there are varying degrees of deafness. And there are some who are totally deaf and have no hearing at all. And there are some like me who have little to some hearing loss. And sometimes they rely on hearing aids, like myself, and with some sort of assistive devices. So I'm so grateful for today's technology. There have been incredible advances to technology for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. And I personally rely on closed captioning when watching TV or movies. There's also flashing light devices for doorbells or fire alarms to alert the person. And also there is CART, which stands for Communication Access Real-Time Translation or Real-Time Captioning. And of course, there's American Sign Language, ASL. And there are ASL interpreters that can be requested. Okay, so we have made significant strides in um, devices and technology that are being used to support this community. And you don't have to walk around with that big thing no. <laughs> around, your neck, around your neck. Not anymore. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, I, found, I found an interesting poster that um, has a sign that says, signs are to the eyes what words are to ears. So let's talk about ASL. Both of you have mentioned that in your introduction. How is it used mainstream and also in education? Let me start with you, Cameron. So I guess it's a little different because I am an outsider kind of looking in, but who's also involved like with signing and who uses sign a lot. But for me, I don't know, almost the easiest way to like explain this is to like interpret like the quote that you have. Okay, you can speak yeah. on that first. Yeah. So, for that, 
like signs are to the eyes is what words are to the ears. If you close your eyes, you stop communication for somebody that uses ASL. Like I've been in ASL class and when no one, like if you just don't want to pay attention, you can close your eyes. <laughs> then you don't know what's going on. So can you talk about some of the assistive devices that are available for people with these varying degrees of deafness? I know Ms. Smith yeah. mentioned a few, but since you're studying audiology, yeah. can you speak some more about that? Yeah, and there's definitely some that even people that aren't involved in the deaf and hard of hearing community or that know sign language often know about. So these are typically like hearing aids, which they know of as like the behind the ear hearing aids, but there's a whole array of different types of hearing aids. There's like in the ear, in the ear canal, like behind the ear, um, and cochlear implants, which is actually a very, very specific field. And a lot of people think they're the same as hearing aids, which they have two totally different jobs. How I think the easiest way to think about them is a hearing aid is like talking into a microphone. You can hear it louder, but you're not going to hear it clearer. So if your head's underwater and someone's speaking into a, like a microphone, you can hear that they're talking louder, but it'll still be very muffled if that's the type of like hearing loss that is there. A cochlear implant stimulates the auditory nerve in the cochlea, like the hairs in the cochlea that send those signals that we interpret as sound. Mm -hmm. And a cochlear implant kind of replicates that, not identical to how we hear normally. I put normally in quotes there. <laughs> um, but it does do that job instead. Okay. And I really like the illustration. Yeah. You need to, to yeah. figure it out a lot easier. Um, that underwater mm -hmm. illustration. It's a lot of people that don't have any sort of hearing loss or don't know anybody that has hearing loss or that's not studying it. Basically, people that don't have any interaction with it really do struggle with those two main concepts. And there's a ton of different types of devices as well. Um, I know Ms. Smith previously mentioned some. Generally, like the two biggest ones are amplification amplification devices and like alert devices. So these can be things like when the, their telephone rings, a light flashes or their doorbell rings, a light flashes. Um, where amplification can be hearing aids, they can be um, similar to what Ms. Smith had growing up, the like auditory box that's basically just a speaker that is connected directly into their hearing aids. Right. Thinking on the word that I just said. <laughs> I was just hearing about that device though. Um, so I know Miss Smith, you said that there was a micro, there, the mic, the sound would be transmitted to the teacher, but could other people hear it as well? No, no, it's just between myself and the teacher. So, but, um, okay. but I do hear the sound that the teacher gets from her microphone. So uh, okay. So if you were talking to if you were talking to a classmate, for example, who is not connected to your device as a teacher is, was that was would you have to now rely on your hearing aid to help you with that? Yes, I would have to rely on my hearing aid. So 
um, that is completely different from the auditorial trainer um, that I would have. So, yeah. And I understand, even as, as a teacher, why that would be important because you um, to, to support the instruction that the teacher is delivering to ensure that you're capturing what the teacher is saying. Yeah, I think uh, my SL teacher like really harped on each individual type of assistive listening device. And for that one, I guess how she kind of described it was basically it's a microphone for one person. Right. So. So apart from the assistive devices, what are some things that can be done to support people in the deaf and hard of hearing community? Since you started on it, Kemi, why don't you <laughs> Okay. Um, so I guess this kind of goes back to the original, how is like ASL used in mainstream and education? I did kind of pass that a little bit earlier to where in mainstream, at least from my experience, it's not really used. Um, it's not really used. So you will see people with hearing loss that could be severe or too mild. They have these assistive listening devices. Some have interpreters that basically go from class to class to class with them, interpreting everything the teacher says. But that's you only see that here and there. It's not heavily used in mainstream education unless you're taking a specific American Sign Language course. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, um, the typically ASR is widely used in deaf schools. The the other um, deaf students that they can sign with and it. It gets difficult when you're in a mainstream where you could be the only deaf student in that school or one or just for a handful of students. So it gets difficult to to find other students that may have that may have skills in ESL. So that's why you don't see ESL as much in mainstream education. So um, but now the deaf school is closing. Um, there's not that many deaf schools. So, um, for deaf students, they are going to mainstream schools. So, while they, it is important to keep ASL, you know, in in the school and other people to learn ASL because they that's their mode of that's our mode of communication, um, especially with someone who grew up knowing ASL. So. Was that very common for you in your elementary years, Ms. Smith, where maybe you were the only student in your class or grade level who yes, needed um, kind of support? Yes, I, it was myself and then one other um, male student who was deaf, and we would communicate all the time. But I, <laughs> but I, outside of him, I had to move, I have to talk or lose my hearing aids or auditory trainer. Yes. So I think kind of like with the what other people can do definitely one thing is have patience like on both ends for people that are trying to learn and for people that are trying to communicate because it's like i mean i would love to say just everyone know asl and just all of that i understand that's not really practical <laughs> i think it would be great if everyone knew a little bit of ASL, even if it's just like fingerspelling, just knowing your alphabet 
um, just it helps some, actually it helps more than you think. Um, but just being patient. So I know like, especially from personal experience, one thing that some of like my friends or my professor who is deaf uh, does is they write down or type out their order when going to a restaurant. And as a hearing person, I can stand in line, not really decide until I get up to that cash register, up to the waitress or waiter, or I can ask them a bunch of different questions. But just imagine having to type out or write out all of those questions or telling if you have some sort of food allergy or any certain accommodation that you may want. So just have patience with people in any, well, I mean, honestly, anywhere, but especially in these instances. And I'm now thinking, as you said, that, um, you know, sometimes you may go to order something and they're out. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your typed up <laughs> list to show. And so that's a whole nother scenario where you go, they're going to have to adjust. And it may just be commonplace for me to just say, okay, since you don't have that and I look on the menu board, I'll take that instead. Mm -hmm. But now a person in the deaf community will now have to figure out how am I going to explain all of this yeah. and change my order in the moment. Exactly. And it's like, I have food allergies, you know, I have yes. pretty severe food allergies to where I have to ask what is like in every single dish, like what are the ingredients, because I don't want to have an allergic reaction. Exactly. And just if you can put yourself in their shoes and understand some of the stress that they may be under to do something so simple to you, like ordering a meal. Maybe I honestly think that will help a lot is just have patience. And if you can learn a few basic signs, it really goes a long way. Yeah. A few weeks ago, um, Miss Smith was offering some ASL classes and I jumped in towards the tail end. And it was just so freeing when we had a conversation and I was saying, you know, I don't want to say the wrong, I don't want to sign the wrong thing, mm -hmm. or, but just to hear you encouraging me to say, okay, learn a few signs here or there. It was, and the, the perfect example she gave was, it's just like speaking um, a, 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 another language. So I remember when we went to Cuba and I was walking around with my pocket dictionary all the time and people were very patient and understanding because it was clear to them that I'm not from Cuba. I'm not a native Spanish speaker. And I think it's the same kind of situation with the with ASL. Yeah. And like I said, I've been signing for years. I've had now, I don't know, 12 formal years of teaching and schooling of ASL. I've taught some. I've learned a lot. I'm still learning. I'm always learning. Um, and at times I mess up and when I am communicating in ASL, people are always super receptive to it. Even when I mess up, they're like, wait, did you mean this? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I meant. That's good to know. That's good to know because sometimes I'm unsure of what to do when interacting with people who have challenges because I don't want to offend anybody or make them feel uncomfortable. And that is why our conversation today is very meaningful for me. It is always my goal to make everyone feel included and supported 
and I have a desire to make cultural connections. So even having this conversation with you, Ms. Smith, I'm thinking of if and when we get back into the building and I'm dropping off my students in the media center and I'm saying something to you, I'm more mindful now that I can't be just handing you my bag and turning away, but I wanna make sure I'm maintaining eye contact. Not because I wanna steer you down, but because I wanna support you because you're a lip reader. Um, so I would probably say that I am striving to make people with disabilities, quote unquote disabilities, feel comfortable around me. So I said that word disabilities, Ms. Smith, do you consider deafness to be a disability? Why or why not? So uh, there around 30 million people in the United States have been difficulty or some degree of deafness. And I struggle with the word disability because it implies that the deaf that deaf people are not able to do something. When in truth, we are very capable of many various things. And personally speaking, I cannot hear to some degree, but in, in, in Americans with disabilities that deafness is considered a disability. But so because of ADA, many public places such as schools, libraries, and even restaurants must accommodate those with disabilities. Yeah. As with most communities, I guess that there may be some stigma associated with the people who are deaf. So Cameron, what are some of the things that you have seen working with this community, even though you're not officially a member of the community, so to speak? Um, definitely one thing that I always see is like, they're always excited when you do try to communicate with them. I mean, that's totally understandable. Like when you see somebody it's like for you, when you see another Jamaican, you get so excited. I know this from personal experience too. I don't have to do it. I just need to see the black, green, and gold, and I'm all excited. Like, yes. Does that person be a Jamaican? I know that from personal experience too. Um, but they're always like looking forward and wanting to communicate with people, wanting people to try to communicate with them, even if it's not grand even if it's not great or perfect or perfect yeah. they just want somebody to try and a lot of people don't <laughs> that simple as that a lot of people don't um often they're ignored and shut out in public especially mainstream public this can be in mainstream education or just like going to the mall like just out and about sort of thing so most people and hearing people really don't think about um, and this is typically just because they don't know how, or they just don't care to try. And uh, both of those are really, that's really bad on that. Like they just don't know how, or they don't care to try. And I guess the other thing is hearing people definitely do not give the deaf and hard of hearing community enough credit. They are able to do so many things that people like, don't realize like one of the biggest stigmas is that deaf people can't drive. <laughs> That's absolutely not true. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a big misconception. <laughs> yeah. Um, so things like that, where people believe these stigmas and these misconceptions, and that's all they believe, and they don't try to do anything else with them, but they only believe that's what 
the deaf and hard of hearing community is this like little circle of I can't. And really the only thing they can't do is hear at what would be considered a normal level. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but now you have me thinking, um, <laughs> Cameron, um, because it's a fallacy. Deaf people can drive, but that makes me start to think what are, and you mentioned patients earlier mm -hmm. that, you know, as a member of the general public, we need to be mindful of some things and be more patient. So, um, for example, you as a driver, Ms. Smith, what are some of the things that maybe you, you have to, you have to deal with, with, with people who, um, don't have the the hearing loss that you have. Um, so we, remember, we want to be included. So in, in, we want to be included in the conversation or anything. So people, um, so when people attempt to speak with a deaf person, just speak in, in a clear voice without any obstruction around the mouth, in case the deaf person is a lip reader. Like myself, and um, please don't talk lively. We still cannot hear you. <laughs> and, no, not yeah. me. But you know, the media doesn't help with that because you know, haven't you watched um, sitcoms or TV shows and somebody may have hearing loss or something, and people start yelling or if they speak a different language. You figure if you speak louder, then no, you no, absolutely hate that because we still cannot hear you. But this is simple as speaking in a clear voice, and um, and we especially I'll be referring from calling deaf people human impaired because the word impaired implies that it implies that we can't do something, and so or we can't do this or we can't do that. So we are we the correct term is deaf or part of him and I know from the National Association for the Deaf for the Deaf, we prefer to use that term. And it's slowly, but surely, slowly moving to that term, the deaf or heart of him. And some um, people who are not part of the deaf community, they might maybe consider um, people with some hearing loss. So. Okay. And that's good to know because I have used the term before, hearing impaired, not thinking, I mean, I thought I was being fine in using it. I didn't think it was something that was frowned upon. So I'm really glad for this awareness that you're bringing yeah. to me today. I mean, even like as a student that's studying not only ASL, but like a pre-med student in all of our like medical papers that we have to read, it's stated as hearing impaired. Um, Occasionally, you will get uh, like some level of severity and then deaf, like the word deaf, whether it's like mild, mildly deaf, severely or profound deafness, like things like that. But nine times out of 10, it's hearing impaired. And, and these publications have been yes, more, and these, in yeah. those more recent years. Yes. These, but these are like both going from medical like levels of you have this percent hearing loss and even just talking about culturally. So even as a student who's actively studying this, I still see these in papers, in documents that we're continuously reading. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I, I just purchased my my first um, death-related book, thanks to Miss Smith's recommendation, El Defo. Um, but it was written by C.C. Bell. So as a librarian, I'm sure you have other books in mind that my listeners could use to bring more awareness to themselves and to others, just like I am learning today. What are some books that you would recommend and for what target audience? Because I think it would be good, not just for me as an adult to read, but I'm even thinking as a teacher in the classroom, if there's a, a book that my second graders could read or my teenage boys could read, you know, just if you have a few recommendations, I'd love to hear them. Sure. Um, in addition to Air Defo by C.C. Bell, which I highly recommend Air Defo, I um, relate to that book so much. And there is a part in the book about the auditory, explain the auditorial trainer and there's a session where she, the teacher had on her, the microphone and she went to the bathroom and she heard the, the teacher needing the bathroom. <laughs> so I could, I've had that experience myself, so I can totally relate to that book. But um, another book that I recommend um, for children specifically um, is the Moses series. It's written by Isaac Millman. It's an early chapter book series which includes illustrations of American Sign Language. And this would be a great introduction for children to learning more about deafness. And also um, for the older population, I would recommend the Gallaudet University Dictionary of American Sign Language. And there are two editions, one for children and one for adults. So this, um, and of course, I'm a little biased because Gallaudet University and Suwak Gallaudet University. But in our business, Gallaudet University I've done a ton of research in American Sign Language um, and they pride itself as having the largest um, collection of deaf materials in, um, at Gallaudet University and this is in Washington, D.C. And also there's many, many books out there on deafness from uh, for babies, um, children, all the way up to adults. So I just recommend you just pick up a book. Yes, definitely. And now we can just go online and do a quick search you know, and, and so I'm sure we'll get a ton of recommendations as well. Um, I've, I'm thinking about something else in your experience that we haven't explored too much before we wrap this up, Ms. Smith. Um, you said you were in a deaf school for a while, but then you were mainstreamed. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk to me a little bit about the benefits of maybe being a lip reader, because I'm guessing that because you were mainstreamed, that's a skill that you developed. Tell me some more about that part of your life. Yes, um, so I do, like I said, I have some degree of hearing, and even for a deaf person, I, I guess it's just a skill that I pick up, um, I'm not even recognizing that it's a skill for um, lip reading, um, but it just helped me understand what they're speaking, and um, even um, hearing children, have a, have a skill of lip reading, especially in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, because when they read, they have to initiate, initiate their words. And so um, that is the, lip reading is definitely um, a skill um, they have, a great skill to have, and it does help me, especially if, if my, my hearing aids can't pick up the sound, and I can still read, lip read to understand the person. Yeah. So you have both um, ASL and lip reading to assist you. Yeah. yeah. That's good. 
So before we wrap up this episode, I have three questions that I always like to ask my guests. And I'm gonna go back and forth between both of you answering the same question. So the first one, let me, since I'm with you right now, Miss Smith, what are you passionate about? I'm a pa passionate about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you my latest passion is quilting. Um, because of the pandemic, I started showing Mac and it gradually sparked my interest in quilting. And actually, I just literally finished my first quilt. So I'm very excited. Good, quilting. All right, Cameron, what about you? Um, so, I mean, besides like generally the obvious with ASL, I mean, I do try to teach as many people as possible. Because everyone's like, wow, that's so cool. Teach me how to sign this. I'm like, do you want to learn anything else? <laughs> um, but I do love ASL. I love teaching people to sign. I love using it. Sometimes I can feel like I can express myself more in sign than I can in English. <laughs> it happens. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm passionate about school, which is such a strange way to phrase that. Um, I, I am pre-med, so I am working on a lot all the time. But I try to advocate for not only what I'm learning, but what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I could have guessed ASL was the one. She saw my book, my book that's over 20 years old, um, The Joy of Signing. And she, oh, if you want me to help you, I'll be happy to do it. So she really is passionate. All right, back to you, Miss Smith. What greatness do you believe you bring to this world? I love what um, you said earlier about um, not focusing on what the one thing that you're unable to do, but you're able to do so much more. So tap into what you consider to be the greatness that you bring to this world. And yeah, I, being able to do multiple things um, because I am not my definition. I'm not my hearing loss. So um, I, in middle school, I started playing the clarinet. And I guess it's unheard of for someone in the deaf community to play music. But yes, we do play music. And um, so and I continue to play the clarinet and the oboe and different um, instruments. And, and I also marched in the band in college, high school in college. So um, and I think another thing that's so great, great about me is that I get, have empathy and I think that comes from my ability, ability. Um, it, because in my hearing loss, I'm more aware of um, other people because I do have situations where that people can't understand me or I can't understand them. So I'm always willing to try to help other people. And um, I think that's, that's my greatness. <laughs> Definitely. Empathy isn't something that you see a lot of in the world because we're so self-centered and selfish a lot of the times. So that is really a gift to the world if we can show empathy. So Kami, what greatness do you believe you bring to the world? Even now, I was still sitting here trying to answer this question. Um, but yeah, I think I just try to learn as much as possible and be as open-minded as possible to where if somebody is struggling with how to, how to learn something or if 
they are from a different culture or if they have different learning abilities or if they have some sort of hearing loss, being able to just accept and help them as much as possible. That to my ability. All right, final question. Back to you, Ms. Smith. Who or what inspires or motivates you? Um, my mother and my sister um, are the two people who motivate me. They are the two closest people in my life and they inspire me to be the best person that I can be. Okay. By the way, are you the only person in your immediate family who have any form of hearing loss? I am. I am, yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. My sister is um, hearing. She has the most knowledge of ASL. So we talk in ASL sometimes. Did, did your parents ever learn ASL? My mom, a little bit. My dad, not so much. But um, yeah. But maybe that was a good thing. So you got both the best of both worlds. You could sign and you could develop your re lip reading skills. Right, exactly. That's the way I see it. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Cameron? Um, I'm very like motivated by like myself. I'm very intrinsically motivated, wanting to do better for myself. But at the same time, I kind of am motivated by this is a weird way to phrase it. Bringing like collective group of what I embody forward. So being a female that's pre med things like that. Even though I'm not a person of color and there definitely should be more people of color in the medical field, they're still lacking in women in the medical field as well. So just that motivates me to continue on and do more for that. Definitely. And now we can, um, not just you who are directly involved in the deaf and hard of hearing community, but more of us can even advocate for the, the the needs because you know I've been watching the the press conferences there have been so many news briefings with COVID and all that's happening around the world and I am pleased to see that maybe nine times out of ten they have ASL interpreters there on stage whether the governor is making uh, an announcement or um, even George Floyd's funeral I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was someone signing throughout that whole church service. So there's, I think there's a, there's still more room for improvement, but I'm hoping that the awareness will continue to grow. And it is my hope that our conversation today has piqued the interest of listeners and brought some more awareness to the needs of deaf people in our society and will hopefully lead to more of us doing our part to provide support. So thank you so much, ladies, for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Until the next episode, as I always say, walk good and wine love.